You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. 1 Samuel chapter 1 today, we're talking about grace and gratitude. Now, if you were here last week, or not here, you were at the park last week, um, and you thought that message was how long every message I teach is, you're sorely mistaken. That was a once-in-a-lifetime deal right there. We are usually uh, about twice as long, if not sometimes longer. So anyways, we're going to try to get through this in a decent amount of time today. We are introducing the book of Samuel, though. And so in doing that, I want to do that with you here. The uh, book of 1 Samuel is the first of four books, actually, that deals with the government and leadership of Israel. Actually, let me back up a second and just say this uh, before I dive into the introduction. What we're doing here is on Wednesday nights, we've typically taught through the Old Testament. And uh, on, on Sunday mornings, typically through the New Testament. But uh, we finished the book of 1 Corinthians and the book of Judges at the same time. And so it was my plan to just kind of flip-flop and bring the Old Testament in on Sunday mornings, and we're doing now 2 Corinthians on Wednesday nights. And we're going through the Bible verse by verse because, well, that's what I feel like God wants me to do. That's the vision that He's given to me, and uh, it's also a distinctive of Calvary Chapel. But this is one of those things that I just wanted to tell you guys about so that you can you can. Uh, follow through for follow along with us in the book of First Samuel, but also on Wednesday nights going through Second Corinthians. Okay, um, now the book of Samuel. Uh, before it was First and Second Samuel, it was really combined into one book, which was called Kings. Eventually, that was broken into four books, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th Kings, and then eventually it got broken into 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings, okay? Um, Now, the name Samuel comes from the last judge and author of the book, and Samuel was a judge and prophet of the Lord that was widely used in the nation of Israel. The name Samuel means heard by God. Heard by God. And I love his name because it, it really depicts the, uh, the, the sovereignty of God in the affairs of men and how God is going to be working and moving specifically through Samuel's life. The book is one of the historical books of Israel and it's going to cover a period of Israel's history in which they transition from the period of the judges into the period of kings, okay? So it, it marks the change in Israel from these tribal alliances into a united monarchy. And that's what the, the, this book, First Samuel, really is all about. It's this marking this transition in Israel's period of history. The timing of the book is from 1100 B.C. to roughly 1000 B.C. It's roughly a 100-year portion of Israel's history, Okay. Uh, they believe, historians believe that Samuel was probably born in 1105, and uh, David was probably born in, in about 1025, right around in that time frame. Uh, the people, or the persons, the main characters of the book, well, it starts out with the birth of Samuel, who's the last of the judges. Then it goes, it ends with the death of Saul, who is the first of the kings. And in the midst of the story, we're also introduced to David. Those are the three main characters of the book of 1 Samuel. There are other important folks in the story as well, and we'll kind of go through, we'll, we'll learn about them as we, go to, as we get to them. 
It's also worth pointing out that during this period of Israel's history, one of their main enemies is the Philistine people. Now, the Philistines are a seafaring people who had migrated from, the co- or from Greece uh, to the coastlands of Israel, and they established there or settled in mainly five cities there on the coastlands of Israel. And we're going to look at that right now, some of the places that we just mentioned there, or that were just on the slide there, Shiloh, Ramoth, Gilead, Bethlehem, the wilderness of Paran. I want to show you a little bit of this on the map. I know it's kind of hard to see on the screens. You know, let me just say something as a Bible teacher. Israel is just not the right shape for slideshows and presentations. I'm telling you, it's too long and skinny. It's hard to get it all in one. But basically, you see here, Israel with the Dead Sea in the south, the Galilean Sea up in the north there, or the Sea of Kinneret. And then you've got Judah here. You've got the, Philist- the Philistines there along the coastlands, Gaza and uh, um, Rakia and Joppa. There, that was their area right there. And then you've got, uh, let, me, let me zoom in a little bit on this map. Just try to make this a little bit easier. So Jabesh Gilead there and Ramoth Gilead. Ramoth Gilead in the upper right corner, that's where Samuel the prophet is from. And then you've got Bethlehem down here, which is where David is from. And this is the kingdom of Saul here, more or less, uh, during his lifetime. And all of this is happening in the book of 1 Samuel. So hopefully that helps to orient you guys a little bit as to some of the stuff that we'll be talking about in the book. Also, let's talk about the theme. The theme of 1 Samuel is the fear of the Lord... And when I say the fear of the Lord, obviously we're not talking about an unhealthy fear. We're talking about reverence. We're talking about respect. We're talking about the God of the universe who is worthy of praise, worship, honor. We're talking about somebody who's worthy to worship with your life. And so it's combined. The fear of the Lord is combined with faithful service. The fear of the Lord, if it's operating correctly in life, It's going to produce faithful service. It's going to produce this love for the Lord, this desire to please Him that is like no other. The theme verse that really sums it up really well is found in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 24 through 25. And it says this, But be sure to fear the Lord and faithfully serve Him. This is the New Living Translation. Think of all the wonderful things He has done for you. But if you continue to sin, you and your king will be swept away. So notice there that it's this fear of the Lord working together with faithful service, but it's not because God is some cosmic policeman. It's not because God is a cosmic boss who is forcing us to do what he wants. Notice there it's because of all the wonderful things that God has done for us. This amazing love that God has for you and for me, this wonderful plan as we were dedicating little Cade Matthew this morning, thinking, wow, God has all of these amazing good works lined out for this little guy, his whole life. Good things that are going to lead him to a land of abundance, to a land of quality of eternal life like none we've ever known. God has good things in store for us. And, and because of that, we're to love him. We're to love him in return and offer our lives to him. It's our reasonable act of service, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Then we get to... That verse 25, if you continue to sin, you and your king will be swept away. So notice there the personal responsibility that the book also uh, puts on us. There's this idea that each one of us is responsible for the choices that we make in life. The things that we do, we're responsible for those things. We can't blame our past. We can't blame other people. 
Now, they, they may have contributing factors, of course. But in the end, at the end of the day, you have an individual responsibility before God for those choices that you make and the things that you do. And the book definitely lets us know that, okay? Um, so let's begin the book in chapter 1, where we're going to start with God's grace, Hannah's faith, and the birth of Samuel. So if you've got your outline, go ahead and take that out, and you can follow along as we go through that. I'm going to start off with looking at God's sovereign hand, and by... We see that in the first eight verses of First Samuel chapter 1. So follow along with me in your Bible while I read. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tofu, I mean the son of Tohu, sorry, the son of Zuf. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> not for Tofu though, I'm sorry. I I'm not a big fan of Tofu. Anyways, the son of Zuf. And Ephraimite. Verse 2. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, that, he provo- or that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. And then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? What a a husband, huh? I mean, the guy just doesn't get it. He's just like, (laughs) typical husband, actually, you know. Us men, we usually don't tend to get it. We want to solve the problem immediately, you know, and Here's Elkanah, he's like, well, look at me, I'm like 10 kids, you know, I'm <laughs> just as good. Total lack of compassion, by the way, guys, just, just so you know. It's not about that, it's about showing compassion in the midst of the grieving there. So the book opens here, though, by giving us a little window surrounding Samuel the prophet's birth. It's setting context for us. Now again, this is the period of Israel's history in which God raised up the judges, known also as deliverers. And these deliverers, they would come in and deliver the tribes of Israel in these different geographical locations throughout Israel, wherever there was oppression from their enemies, the other Canaanite tribes that they had failed to drive out of the promised land. It was mostly a time of lawlessness, we know. It was a time of disunity. It was a time that was summarized, really, by the phrase found in Judges chapter 20, verse, or 21, verse 25. That in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, one of the most amazing things about the Bible, you guys, is that the Bible, even though this was written thousands of years ago, it is still relevant, it is still applicable, it still speaks to us today. And as you guys know, I don't have to tell you, we're living in a time in our country of lawlessness. We're living in a time in our country where there's darkness and despair, there's disunity, 
There's a lot of this stuff going on right now in our own country. Well, guess what? The Bible has talked about this all before. And in fact, it is in these darkest of times where God is often bringing the, lar- or the greatest hope where God is offering the greatest hope to the people. And that's certainly the case here, and it's certainly the case now in our lives today. I want to point out to you that not everything going on in Israel was bad at that time. Ruth, the story of Ruth, takes place in the period of the judges, the same time period where before Samuel was born. You know, it was through God's sovereign hand that was working in Ruth's life that she came to marry this godly guy named Boaz. Great romance story, by the way, if you're into that sort of thing, reading the Bible, good stuff in there. But together they had this child named Obed, and Obed had a child named Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. David becomes the very first king of the tribe of Judah in Israel. And we know from Genesis chapter 3 that the scepter should not Part will not depart from the hand of, the, of a ruler from the tribe of Judah, and that's Jesus Christ. So all of this ties in to the line of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It's pretty amazing. Now, it was also in this dark time of Israel's history when God was working through, now, the prophet Samuel, as we come to this in, in our book. But I just want to pause for a moment, church, and I just want to remind all of you that are here this morning to remember... That while elections are important, yes, voting is important, yes, but the reality is is that election days come and go, and life goes on. The reality is is that politicians can't save us. (laughs) The reality is is that life continues as normal for so many people in this country in spite of all of the darkness and turmoil. They need hope. They need a light. They need truth. And guess what? The church is called to be that voice. The church working in God's name remains. We remain in this time. And we are to be here to continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ with any and all people around us. We need to continue to help the needy. We need to continue to care for the sick, visit the prisoners. We need to continue to cry with the hurting and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We need to continue to train up future leaders, because God is working in our time today, and His sovereign hand is always at work guiding the affairs in our world. We can be sure of that. So take hope, church. Take hope. In the times of darkness, this is when God wants us to be used the most. He wants our lives to be the most surrendered, the most used. Now, we've been introduced here in our story to Elkanah and to his two wives, Hannah and Penina. I want to just give you the names, what their names mean very quickly. Elkanah means that God has obtained. And and I like that. God has obtained is what that that word means, Elkanah in the Hebrew. Penina means a pearl, which is kind of ironic because in this story, she's kind of like a black pearl, if anything else. You know, she's she's kind of, she's tainted. She's contaminated. Uh, Hannah, though, her name means favored one. Now, I love this name. Her name, it means, it literally, if you, if you look at the root of the word in Hebrew, it literally means to bend down or to stoop in kindness. And the idea is of one who is uh, uh, superior 
bowing down and helping someone that is inferior, okay? And that's what her name means. All of that is contained in her Hebrew name. Pretty amazing because that's exactly what her story is. She's a woman that God is going to show special favor to. Now, we're told that both of these women have problems. We're told that they both have problems, and the interesting thing is is that they're both related to heart issues. They're, They're issues in their heart. Hannah's problem was that she was not able to have children. She was looking for fulfillment in her life through children. Now, she just doesn't have a character issue going on, but she, is not fine. she has an identity problem going on. At the same time, Penina's problem was that she was filled with insecurity and bitterness and hatred towards Hannah. She, too, is looking for fulfillment in her life through her children. And when she doesn't get it, she's lashing out in anger, bitterness, and jealousy at, to Hannah. The interesting thing is, though, if you notice here, Neither of these women are content. Neither one of them are content. They both have issues in their hearts. And that's being exposed through this story here. We continue on now, looking now at Hannah's broken heart in verses 9 through 18. Pick it up with me and follow along. It says, So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. So think about that for a moment. Let's pause just a second. Think about what Hannah is saying. She's, she's a woman that cannot have children, and yet she's giving up. If she were to be given a children, she's saying, God, I will give this child back to you. And then she makes that Nazarite vow there. Quite a, uh, a remarkable thing to do if you consider her circumstances that she's in. Let's continue. Verse 12. And it happened that as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. And then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Let's pause right here for a moment. So notice with me, first of all, Hannah's desperate condition. She's in a desperate place in her life. It has been said that motherhood denied is one of life's cruelest difficulties or most difficult cruelties, however you want to say that. Either way, it's tough. Now, perhaps some of us need to realize that 
And just allow that to speak to our hearts today. Perhaps you know a woman or a couple in your life that is not able to have children. It's, it happens a lot. It's, there's there's a, probably a lot more people than you think that are in this predicament. And, and sometimes we can have a, a, a mindset or a mentality that just brushes over that. And we just think, oh, come on, just deal with it, or, or you'll get over it, or something like that. But, but think about it for a second here. We see a woman, she is in a desperate place. If you think about it, a woman's body has been designed by God for motherhood. God has designed her for this. And then to see that reality, or to see that, have that reality denied, that is tough. That is hard. Because it really is central to a woman's identity. Now, any woman who cannot see that inward desire realized or brought to fruition, of course, they're going to struggle. They're going to have a very hard time. But this is where Hannah is our example. She's a great example of what it means to take something to the Lord and to wrestle with it. To wrestle with what this is in her life before the Lord. Now, there is something to be said about that, folks. Hannah is being held out to you this morning as an example to follow that when we face circumstances in life that don't make sense, that don't seem to fit with God's loving character, hey, we're to take that and we're to wrestle with it. And we're to bring that before the Lord. You see, the key to, getting, the key to having victory over that is getting to a place where, like Hannah, you ultimately give it to God. Where you take it and lay it on the altar and say, God, I realize that I'm not going to understand why this is, but either way, Father, I'm giving it to you. You see, we have to be able to lay down our lives on the altar of God. We have to be able to say, like Hannah, hey, I trust you, God. I trust that you are good. I trust that you are gracious. And even though I may never have a child through birth, My identity is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ and not in motherhood or not in what I do. Now that is key. That is key. Notice with me that her desperate condition is what leads her to an anguished petition. This anguished petition, you see, in her desperate condition, she pours out her heart here in 1 Samuel in what is one of Scripture's most precious prayers. It's a window into the heart of someone who is really genuinely hurting. And they are genuinely wrestling with an issue of doubt in their life. But notice, she comes to the Lord and she pours out her heart to Him and she's just honest. And she's just letting God know where she's at. I love that. And that petition also leads her to an honorable ambition. If you notice there, that Hannah decided that in spite of her hurt and her pain, that she was going to maintain a pure, or that she was going to, to, to give God the glory in spite of her difficult situation. Now, this meant purification of her motive. Okay, So after wrestling through this with God and coming to a place where she finally surrenders, God has now purified her motive. And look at, how, look at her heart. She's now willing to turn this child over back to the Lord. In other words, she's now willing to allow God to use her life and her condition for the greater good. That is so key, church. 
to understanding what's going on right here in this, par- or in this story. We, we continue with the story, now in verse 19, where we see God's grace in Hannah's gratitude. Verse 19, Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bowls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli, and she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshiped the Lord there. Notice with me, first of all, that God remembers and delivers on his goodness and his promise in the life of Hannah. Now, when the Bible says here that God remembered Hannah, I want to put that in perspective for you. It's not as if God had forgotten about her and then suddenly one day, you know, his iPhone, you know, calendar notification popped up, bing, you know, and hey, don't forget to answer Hannah's request. You know, it's not like that with the Lord, okay? What this is, is this is what theologians would call an anthropomorphism, which is when the author is ascribing human traits to God. And, and, and we have to remember something. The Word of God is written from a human perspective. And so when the author here is writing it, he's putting it in terms that you and I would understand. And so he says, hey, God remembered Hannah. That's all that he's doing here. He's just, it's not as if God, you know, suddenly forgotten and remembered and had a, you know, had a brain lapse or something like that. It's not that way with the Lord. This is just the way the Bible is describing the Lord to us in a way that we can relate with. And so the Lord remembers, but he also delivers through his grace. He, decide, he, he's, or he shows grace and mercy in the life of Hannah. But notice what Hannah does in this story. She relishes the promise. Notice that when, when the baby is given, she relishes that child. And then when it's time, when it's time, she gives that child back to the Lord. Parents, I can't think of a better example for us than this one right here that we have in Scripture. You see, moms and dads, we're stewards of what God has given to us in our children. The Bible talks about children being like arrows in a quiver that are in the, in, in the quiver of a warrior. Psalm 127, I believe it is. And those arrows, man, they have a purpose. Those arrows have a purpose in life. And, 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 and if our children are those arrows, at some point they need to be drawn from that quiver, knocked on that bow, and that bow needs to be drawn and those arrows need to be sent on their way to make an impact in this world. 
Parents, perhaps this is a word for some of you this morning. Perhaps you're clinging to your children. And you're clinging to them so much in such a way that you are actually enabling them to be weak. Enabling them to not fulfill the purpose which God has for their lives. And perhaps this morning's example that Hannah gives to us is a timely example for some of you. That you need to realize that your children have been created for a purpose and God wants to give them a passion and He wants to give them a place to make an impact in their world. And so everything that we do as parents has to take that in mind, that ultimate end in mind. That, hey, this child is not mine ultimately, but God has given this child to me that I might raise it up in the ways of the Lord, that I might raise him or her up, that that I might train this child to one day go forth and to, to find that purpose, that passion, that vision for which God has created him or her and to send them into this world where they will bring glory to God's name. But parents, if we're not thinking about that, we can do damage to those arrows that God has given us. We can misshape them that they might not fly like they're supposed to fly. So it's a big thing, and this is a huge example. Hannah relishes her child while she's got him. But when it's time, man, she turns him over to the Lord. She recognizes that this is the Lord's child, and, and, and she gives him back to the Lord, his creator. Well, what is the application that we have today? I want to look at first three character examples that we can apply to our lives today from this chapter. The first one is Elkanah. Elkanah sets an example for us of having right priorities in life. And he's faithful in observing them. And I want to challenge you guys as a church right now to think this through. Elkanah didn't have to go through the sacrifice of getting his whole family ready every year and going up to the house of the Lord to have this worship service. And yet, you know what? He did it. He did it. And he did it in a time when he was surrounded by darkness. It was not an easy thing for him to do this. And yet he did it. And church, I want to challenge you guys today. Some of you need to be challenged in this area. I want to challenge you to pull out your calendar from 2018. Your daily planner, your weekly planner, your monthly planner. And I challenge you to look back on it and to find out how many Sundays did you miss church this year? How many Sundays were you actually gone? You may have a great reason for it. That's, that's awesome. I understand. Understand that. But just go back and X out all the Sundays where you missed church service. Or perhaps a Wednesday night Bible study that you committed to. Or a class that you committed to taking. And guys, go back through that planner and decide, you know what? If I was going to look at this and see what was my priority in time and resources and commitments this year, what would that be? What would that look like? Hey, for Elkanah and his life, it was putting God first. It was making sure that God had the priority, his daily, weekly, his yearly schedule, his monthly schedule. I believe it's the Barna uh, Research Center that recently, or Pew Research, I'm sorry, who uh, recently collected data on Christians and their church attendance. And the average church attender attends 1.8 Sundays out of a month. In other words, they're missing more Sundays than they're, they're, they're attending in a month. And that's a scary thing when you think about it. But you know what happens? Life happens. 
Life happens. And if you don't make God a priority and schedule him into your life, life is going to happen for you too. And you're going to let it pass you by. And the next thing you know, someone else is going to be coming up with your schedule for you. And the next thing you know, God is no longer the priority. Worship is no longer the priority in your life. And guys, that should start on a daily basis. And then a weekly, a monthly, and yearly basis, guys. That's something that we need to take a look at. And listen, that might challenge you. That might convict you. Well, good. I hope it does. That's the job of the Word of God. The Word of God convicts. The Word of God shines light where truth needs to be shined. And so Elkanah sets an example of having a right priority in life. Is your priorities right in your life? Or are you find yourself slipping back and not attending church and not being there to worship the God who created you and has a plan and a purpose for your life? He's got a passion that he wants to give you, a burden he wants to give you so that you can run with that and change your family, your workplace, your community, your world. Secondly, Penina is in a character example of someone who is bitter and critical. She's hypercritical in this passage. She dishonors herself by the way that she's treating others. And she probably doesn't even know it. Are you here this morning and this may describe your life? If we were to ask your wife or wives, if we were to ask your husband, hey, what kind of a person is he at home? When you guys are, you know, in the privacy of your home. Does he treat you, does she treat you critically or bitterly? Is there, is there disrespect in her tone? Is, is this an issue in his life of, of being a judgmental and harsh t- type of a person? Because listen, this is what Penina was. She was bitter and it was, she was critical and she was harsh. But listen, the problem with Penina, it's in her own heart. The question is, what does she need that have, or what does she need that is not being met by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Listen, some of you guys that are here today, you need to do some serious introspection and look at your marriage. You need to look at your relationships. You need to look at who you are as a person. You need to ask yourself, am I like Penina, where I find a weakness in somebody else and I hold it over their heads? And I criticize and I'm bitter inside because of things that have not yet been healed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, we have the example of Hannah. Hannah wrestles with her pain and sorrow. But ultimately, she gives it all back to God. And she's an example of faith for us. She's an example of faith. That faith that God is seeking to purify in your life and in my life. Listen, all of us go through things in life. It's a fallen world. You will suffer at one time or another. It's inevitable. For Hannah, her situation was she was barren. For you, I don't know what your situation is, but God knows what it is. Have you wrestled with that situation before the Lord? Have you taken it and honestly, genuinely, sincerely worked it out in your relationship with God and gotten to a place where you say, God, I surrender. Even if I never have kids, God, I want you to have the glory and the greater good is what I'm going to pursue through this situation that you've placed me in. I realize that you want to use me to bless others. That was Hannah's heart. That's her example. What's the moral of the story? There's several things I want to close with as the morals of this story. First of all, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. 
The book of 1 Samuel reflects this great truth of God's word in that we see God's hand working in the affairs of men and in the affairs of nations. Don't ever forget that, church. God is not sleeping. God is not, you know, checked out. God is not so distant that he is not working and moving today. His hand is always working in the affairs of men and nations. And that's true of the United States of America as well, by the way. While men are always free to make their own decisions, listen, it is God who is guiding and overseeing all things to bring about his purposes. The second moral of this story is that faith moves a mountain. Faith moves mountains. In the news this weekend, I read this article It says, it's a medical mystery that's left several doctors scratching their heads. This is reported by CBS in Sacramento, California. A suspected malignant brain tumor vanishes without treatment, giving a patient a second chance at life. Several months ago, Lodi father and community volunteer Paul Wood realized something just wasn't right. I had massive headaches. I couldn't walk down the hallway without holding on to the walls, he said. Wood's primary physician sent him to a neurosurgeon at UC San Francisco who thought he had a brain bleed, although radiologists saw signs of a tumor. Wood immediately turned to his faith and his community for support. The day before surgery, Wood's operation was canceled because his suspected tumor was gone. He said, it's a miracle, and that's the way God planned it. Wood said that the doctors are so intrigued with his recovery, they've asked him to volunteer to be a part of a research study. I wonder what they're going to find in that research study. (laughs) More evidence for God, no doubt. More evidence for God's power, no doubt. But listen, the cool thing about Paul Woods is he's a Christian. Goes to Gravity Church there in Lodi, California. And his church was praying for him. His church was on their knees praying for him. Guys, we need each other. We need prayer. We need desperate conditions so that we have desperate petitions. And we need honorable ambitions in which we are willing to say, God, use me for the greater good. Take my situation. Take what I'm going through and use it for the greater good. The last moral of this story is blessing from brokenness. God takes brokenness and he uses it to bless others. Hannah's brokenness, well, she gave it to God. And God took her brokenness, he took her problem, and he used it to bless many other people. Her son Samuel became a prophet who guided a nation through one of the toughest times in their history. Okay, So how does God want to do this in your life? How does God want to take the situation that you are facing right now in your own life that you need to simply surrender to God? That you need to lay down on His altar, so to speak. And then by doing so, you can allow God to use your situation to be a blessing in other people's lives. Hannah and Elkanah's son, Samuel, he would go on to become this amazing spiritual leader a judge of all Israel, a deliverer. His life would represent the glue that would unify the nation and guide them into this new era of their history. Who knows how God will want to use you and your situation? Who who knows how God wants to receive glory through your life 
and the things that you are facing, the issues, the problems, the struggles. Let's learn from Hannah's life today. Let's learn that in our desperate condition, hey, we need to bring it to the Lord. We need to wrestle with it, but we need to leave it on his altar, surrender it, so that he can then take that and use it, that brokenness in us, to be used in the lives of others. Let's pray.